Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. We are just a couple of weeks away from a municipal election. And, uh, of course, you're starting to get the flyers now. You, the signs have been there for some time now. But uh, the the commercials, etc. people looking for your votes. That's what it comes down to. And you might even have had a candidate or two knocking on your door to, to try to get you to vote for them. Uh, and if you live in certain parts of the city, you're going to hear a consistent theme, and that is us versus them. And, and from some of the candidates, granted, not all of them. And it, it really stems from this idea about, you know, there's a rural-urban split in this city. Is it real? I Well, I've got my thoughts on this, but I want to bring Peter Grafe into the conversation. He's a professor of political science at McMaster University uh, here in Hamilton. Peter, great you could join us today. Thanks so much. Oh, my pleasure. Let's talk, let's talk a little bit about this. I know you were quoted in, in the spec article about this today. Uh, and because I've heard, look at I, this goes back to regional government, for, let alone the amalgamated government. And they they always seem to have this rural urban split. It was us versus them. Is is there something real going on here? Uh, I mean, yeah, certainly there's divisions on uh, Hamilton City Council, but maybe we gum together, uh, you know, different orders of things and call them all the same thing. So I mean, there's certainly some ongoing divisions between the uh, amalgamated communities and the old city of Hamilton, particularly around, uh, you know, the question of area rating and, uh, you know, related to that then uh, funding for transit. But, I mean, you know, that's really the, the, the crux of the, the matter there. I think on top of that, uh, there's maybe more of a uh, urban-suburban split. And so in that, you have the, the mountain uh, really allied in many ways with the amalgamated communities with a particular vision of developing Hamilton as we have for the past uh, 60 or 70 years, really about building out the, the frontier to the suburbs as far as, you know, building in new suburbs and seeing that as a way forward versus maybe more of an urban vision uh, that is represented more often by the downtown councillors with the idea that our economic progress is going to come by uh, strengthening economic activity in the core of the city. And your point's well taken. As you mentioned, in 2000, when the city was amalgamated, we started this this whole journey together. Some of us kicking and screaming were brought into the to the partnership, but uh, Benbrook was a much different looking area. So was Flamborough, for that matter. I mean, Waterdown has experienced incredible growth over the last 15 to 18 years. So has Benbrook. Anybody who was there then and has left and comes back today wouldn't recognize those areas. There's a lot bigger urban component in those areas, isn't there? Yeah, I mean, and, you know, and then you go into Stony Creek and out, you know, by Fruitland Road and so on. I mean, there's uh, just a huge addition uh, of newcomers to the city. So, I mean, the the banging of the drum, drum around amalgamation uh, does become a bit odd because in, in many of those uh, those communities, the people who are living there now weren't living there in 2000 and don't have any memory of that. And, and so we have politicians, presumably, who have found it uh, useful to bang that drum. Now, there may be ways in which the people who live there feel that uh, the city isn't working for them, uh, and that may be based a bit on, you know, where they live and, and how the city responds to their needs. But uh, there's, uh, the framing it around uh, amalgamation in particular, or this kind of old city, new city split, I think uh, hides what are the, the sort of more crucial issues about how people are living and certainly how people live on uh, the south end of Hamilton Mountain in the old city of Hamilton and how they live in many parts of Ancaster, Stony Creek, Dundas, uh, Binbrook, Waterdown. Uh, it's actually pretty similar looking communities and similar concerns. 
But you're always going to get that attitude, I guess, depending on, on the area that you live, aren't you, Peter? I mean, there was some talk 15, 20, 25 years ago of actually, you know, Hamilton Mountain splitting from this is before the amalgamation, obviously. Uh, different mindsets, different kinds of attitudes, and in some cases, different challenges, et cetera, with some of the older neighborhoods in the downtown core as opposed to some of the other ones. And you're right, though, there does seem to be an affinity now with uh, people on the South Mountain, uh, still the old city of Hamilton, but the South Mountain, uh, with the people of Binbrook and, and Ancaster, more so than with the people maybe in downtown. Yeah, so I mean, certainly where people live is important, although also the, the ways our politicians talk about our strategies are also important. Uh, I mean, it's it's not clear to me, you know, why on a number of questions of uh, urban development, we see such pushback by, the you know, the suburban councillors when, you know, ultimately the city's been told by the province that we need a much denser form of development uh, you would think that given the opposition of many people in certain areas to see that density in their neighborhoods, <laughs> that to see it downtown would be a winner and that they'd want to, to build that up. But, you know, in many cases, uh, there's a kind of knee-jerk reaction against uh, the building of some of those urban amenities. So, I mean, part of it, too, is that the stories that our, our councillors tell us, and if, if if we as citizens, and this is across the city, uh, generally don't pay much attention to municipal politics, you know, it allows the politicians who are there to, rather than take responsibility for the city they've built over the past 10, 15, 20 years, in the case of many of these councillors who've been sitting there that length of time, rather than taking responsibility for the city they've built, uh, they keep running about how, you know, the rest of the city is somehow, you know, shortchanging their particular ward and a kind of form of ward nationalism, uh, which is probably useful for their re-election, but probably isn't serving their citizens who have questions about, well, you know, why aren't there good... Uh, pedestrian amenities where I'm living, uh, how come, you know, we're adding uh, more subdivisions which are crowding our streets. And so, uh, you know, we do on occasion see the election of councillors from those wards who have different ideas about what the problems are and and provide a a slightly different vision of the city. That's one of the oldest political tricks in the book, though, isn't it, Peter? You know, you're in trouble. These guys are going to rip you off, but I will protect you if you elect me. Yeah, and I mean, so we can we can uh, say it's the oldest trick in the book. It's really shame on us, in a yeah. way, right? As citizens, if we don't follow municipal politics, then we're not really in a position to ask the tough questions. And I mean, if we think of some of the uh, unhappiness in this election about the change in the ward structure, which is somehow sold as being forced down the throats of people in parts of the city. But in many ways, it was the existing councillors who brought us to that conclusion by, you know, refusing to adopt a 16-ward structure that would have preserved a rural seat or refusing to show uh, flexibility in front of the OMB where, you know, they could have preserved a a rural seat, but it it would have meant breaking up Ancaster and disturbing the kind of existing ward structure. Uh, So again, you know, that gets painted as, you know, some sort of nefarious force against the old amalgamated communities, but in other ways, there's a, an important part of responsibility that sits on the incumbent councillors. It's part of the human psyche, though, isn't it, Peter? If you're, if you're upset about something, whether it's taxes, garbage collection, snow clearing, I mean, pick one, uh, you want to blame somebody, right? <laughs> and, and and the easy one, the, the target, obviously, is City Hall, and just say, you know, it was never like this before, it's that city, it's that amalgamation, those guys in the city are messing us around. Yeah. Uh, and again, I think uh, it's sort of shame on us as as uh, as citizens, right? If we want to move beyond a kind of a knee-jerk take on it and actually say that there's you know serious issues facing us as a community and the, the way we've been going hasn't been working, how could we do it differently? 
you know, we would like to see elections where there was a bit more competition in those wards uh, with a richer set of ideas about how we could live better together. Um, but again, if if we come in without really any understanding of the decisions that have been made, or, or we're not that invested in actually learning about the people who are running, uh, certainly it makes that uh, ward nationalism a really effective strategy to uh, promote incumbency. Has the city, and by that I mean both the administration and the elected officials, done a, a good enough job of trying to assuage some of those concerns, even if they are not realistic, uh, you know, to, 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 to try to bring everybody into the, the fold and uh, under one tent? Uh, yeah, I mean, I would say that there's been attempts over the past, uh, you know, 20 years, and I think the way a city council works on a day-to-day basis, they do a reasonable job of of trying to uh, balance those things off. Uh, then, of course, once people are away from the council table, uh, you know, they want to say other things for their own their own interests. Uh, I mean, I do think that as a city as a whole, and this is probably not something that we can put on city council or even the city itself, uh, you know, that we have a lot of people making claims about how they're net contributors to the city and somehow people in the rest of the city are, are uh, sort of leeching off us. And, I mean, you know, the, the urban people say that, <laughs> that this dense urban uh, development is good for the city and the sprawl is costly and people in the suburbs have a kind of alternative view that some other paying ever higher property taxes so it must be that you know the downtown that is uh, sort of leeching off the city uh, I mean we could use uh, probably a better civic conversation about well what are the the costs and consequences of different kinds of development we have in the city uh, so that we wouldn't have the the same kind of you know baiting of other parts of the city and maybe come up with a strategy that would be beneficial for all of us. Well, a lot of that's misinformation, too, I, you know, when it comes to situations like this. And, you know, the tax increases that did occur, and I, I guess to a certain extent are still occurring, uh, they always want to blame on City Hall, notwithstanding the fact that, you know, the, one of the things that really I think was a key factor in that was the current value assessment that was brought in by the provincial government. Uh, which changed the whole way that we paid property taxes, and that had nothing to do with the city. We were, they were victims of that just as much as anybody else was, yet you, you've got to blame somebody, and since you're paying the taxes to the city hall, it must be their fault. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I think we also see with cities you know, such as Mississauga, who have a much stronger uh, now corporate tax base than we have in Hamilton, uh, similar tax pressures, uh, which is really based off a particular built form, that uh, you build subdivisions and collect uh, the... Uh, development charges when they're built, but, you know, 40, 50 years later when you have to do, you know, significant uh, renovations to the infrastructure and the sewers and so forth, uh, uh, you know, that's a pretty big hit on the property uh, tax base. I mean, if you just think about what it costs to keep the road in front of your house paved so many years, uh, you'd be surprised how many years of your property taxes just go to that. So I think part of it, too, is that, uh, you know, we haven't really come face to face with what the real cost is on a life cycle basis of our communities. And so, yeah, we, we complain about rising property taxes, but some of that is based on the fact that we were paying artificially low ones uh, for the kind of development we have, uh, you know, for the past 25, 30 years. And and as much as I like, we can complain about current value assessment, I know this is an 18-year-old policy, but, I mean, we're still having an, it's still having an impact on us. That to, go, to your point, though, Peter, I think before that, uh, property taxes were based on 1973 assessments, and that was around 1995 at the time, and it, it was unrealistic. Uh, they may have gone way too far too soon, and, and obviously we felt the impact on that. But but you're right. I mean, people, there's, there's always that mindset, I guess, with people saying, look, it, it was great 20 years ago. Why can't we just have it the way it is 20 years ago? And I, I don't know if there's any community that's the same as it was 20 years ago. We all evolved, don't we? Yeah, well, I mean, Hamilton is a much bigger place than it was 20 years ago. Uh, but again, I mean, I think people you know, feel pinched, 
And so they want, you know, both the cake and to eat it. And so they want to have low taxes because the property tax is a very visible tax that they have to pay. Uh, at the same time, you know, when you have bad roads in the spring, you have people saying, I don't, you know, take all the money and spend it on resurfacing the roads. Uh, you know, which is, I think, an indication that a lot of the things that the city does in terms of the core infrastructure of roads and water uh, is really significant to our, the enjoyment of our quality of life, to say nothing of things of parks and rec centers. Uh, and so, in a way, we value the services that are there, and yet uh, we feel the pinch of paying for them. And so, yeah, there is a kind of, uh, I think, a typical irrationality uh, when it comes to our discussion of, of property tax. There was a discussion going on, and, and a mindset by some people back when amalgamation occurred, Peter, as, as you recall, that said, look, at, you know, give these people 10, 15 years, and everything will fine. Everything, it's inflammatory now, but things will cool down. Are you surprised that 18 years later we're still having this conversation? Uh, no, because I, I think our councillors have not held themselves to a higher standard. I mean, because they, they realize that playing these games is politically uh, good for them uh, individually, and, and they're not really looking at the collective cost. And, I mean, we can also think of, you know, a number of councillors, you know, it's not just from the amalgamated cities who, when something comes to council, will spend, you know, 20 minutes, 30 minutes saying why it's the worst thing ever and then end up voting for it. Um, so, you know, there's a number of ways in which, because we don't watch city council closely, uh, they can get, engage in behaviors that really aren't serving uh, finding a way to bring the city together and to develop a kind of a longer-term idea of what's good for the city. So even when we end up doing things, it's as if everybody hates the fact that we're doing them rather than developing a more positive vision of, of projects we can do together. Yeah, I think one of the factors here might as well be as uh, there was a time when information the city wanted to disseminate to the public would be done through City Hall. There was a public relations department, that sort of thing. That's been cut back, if not eliminated altogether, and most of the information we get now is through those councillors, uh, through the budgets that they have, and they send out the material, and obviously, obviously what we're reading is through the prism of, of what they want us to see. So, I mean, there's a, there's a, a bit of a manipulation that goes on here when it comes to the dissemination of information. Well, and I mean, as you know, in the old days, when you were down at City Hall with a CHML microphone, uh, there were a lot of other microphones from radio stations around the city yep. and from other news sources. And now there's about th you know, three, maybe four uh, journalists who are regularly covering City Hall in the city. And that, I think, you know, also makes a difference if people aren't, uh, you know, aren't reading the city's newspaper, if they aren't uh, getting that kind of news on most of the city's radio stations, then... Yeah, the, the, we do really leave it up to the councillors to, to set the narrative, uh, and we don't have a lot of alternative ways to kind of question, are they are they actually acting in the city's interest? Are things really that divided? In fact, you know, it sounds like uh, you're in agreement with uh, these downtown councillors on a whole pile of issues. So, uh, you know, why are you ripping your shirt about the sort of uh, urban uh, rural? So, I mean, I think there's a number of ways in which we're, we're you know, people aren't that well informed, and the, the current media landscape isn't making it easier for them to follow what's happening at City Hall. I mean, in fairness, there were some and have been some rural councillors who have, I think, a better vision, a bigger vision, a, a more encompassing vision, and have tried to do that. I, I don't want to paint everybody with the same brush and say they're all being contrary just for the sake of getting reelected. Uh, I, don't, I, I guess they've met with various levels of success in doing that, but uh, maybe it does come down to the quality of the people that are around that table that, after this next election. Yeah, I mean, certainly uh, who you choose makes a difference. Uh, and, I mean, I think we've seen uh, different kinds of representation of uh, uh, rural but particularly suburban issues from the amalgamated communities over, you know, that 15 years. There hasn't been a lot of turnover. 
But in cases where there has been, I think we've seen quite different ways of representing that interest. Sometimes it's been improvement in my view, sometimes it's a step backwards. But yeah, the people you choose makes a difference. I mean, there isn't a uh, rural or a suburban or a urban way of thinking about the development of the city. Uh, you know, there's different ways of, of thinking about the interests of the people who live in, in those areas. And, uh, you know, there's many things that also unite around questions like, you know, road safety, safety for our kids, things like that. And so the manner in which councillors actually express that is important. And so our choice, you know, in what, three weeks' time becomes really crucial about the direction we go. Uh, and the extent to which, you know, there will always be tensions as people live in different kinds of communities and have different interests, but do we have politicians who try and find win-win, or do we find ones that are trying to uh, accentuate the division because it's in their electoral interest? There are two issues, I guess, that are, are possibly and, and tentatively going to maybe even make this a, a wider gap, and, and you touched on one of them, being transit, and the other one, I guess, would be area rating. Uh, which if, in fact, you've got a councillor or a bunch of councillors that have that mindset of us versus them, uh, that's the issue that they're going to grab onto because, I mean, you can really uh, look at the potential for a lot of, uh, of acrimony when it comes to those two issues. I know that area rating was something they put in to try to, to, to ease some of the burden on some of the rural councillors, but, I mean, there seems to be a move afoot now to do something about that, maybe even eliminate it, and uh, that's, uh, that's not going to go well. Uh, probably not, although, again, I mean, if our councillors had been looking for the win-win over the past 10 years, we'd probably be further along on that, because, uh, you know, many of the councillors who would like to maintain area rating nevertheless sit at the council table and, you know, complain that they aren't getting bus service in their community. But then when, you know, the idea is, okay, maybe we could add bus service to your community, they say they don't want it because <laughs> with the area rating it's yeah. going to increase the taxes. And so, you know, there's a way in which we get uh, stuck in what kind of lose-loses, uh, you know, when instead we could have said, well, here's a bigger question. How do we improve uh, transit in these communities and do that as part of shifts in area ratings so that you know, people, when they pay more tax, actually see kind of a clear benefit in terms of the services they receive? Well, uh, as you mentioned, this may all change after the election in three weeks, or it may not. Uh, <laughs> we'll just have to wait and see. Peter, always a pleasure. Thanks so much for this today. You're welcome. Take care. Peter Grape, uh, political science professor from uh, McMaster University. And yeah, you do have a say in this. And, and I'm not, as I said, trying to paint everybody with the same brush. I mean, there are some people that are trying to find a way to make this work. And uh, some of them are on city council and they're trying to do that as well. But uh, we do, I guess, as, as voters, I mean, get a little frustrated and, you know, you want to point the finger of blame at somebody. And it's easy to point it at city hall, but oftentimes it's just a matter of, well, who's trying to work to make everything work here? Or are you just trying to look at your own constituency and see if you can just, you know, better your own position vis-a-vis getting reelected? Uh, just ask some questions if somebody had, does actually start knocking on your door and looking for your vote. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.